0: Uh, yes, woo is right. We're all about to eat. big time this week. I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, but as we go into this week, I want to talk to you about an important word that should be a part of this week and sometimes gets lost, but for the most part, I think at least we're thinking about it. So what I'd like to do is start off by talking about the opposite of it, and the opposite of it is actually probably the one of the most hurtful and ugly words in the English language. And here it is: the word "in." Gratitude. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of ingratitude, you know it stings when you do something for somebody. You go out of your way to be nice, or you make a sacrifice, or you pay for something, and you don't feel like they're very thankful. Ouch, that hurts a little bit. And what's funny is that sometimes this can happen. We can do it and not even realize that we have done it to another person. As a matter of fact, I'd like to get you to help me. We're going to do a little experiment this morning. If you would right now, just all across the room, if you know somebody who tends to act ungrateful or having gratitude in their life, would you just raise your hand? You know somebody who tends to, okay, like that's pretty much everybody. Okay, you put your hands down. Now, conversely, how many of you would say, I am an ungrateful person, all right? Oh, wow, there's a couple of really honest people. So here's the mathematical conundrum that always seems to happen. Right? Everybody knows somebody who's ungrateful, but almost nobody thinks they are. Isn't that interesting? So, where do those people go all of a sudden? You know, they disappeared. They're never in the room when we ask the question. And so, it's funny because there is a sense in which this is really hard to see in the mirror. You can see anger in yourself, you can see fear, you can see insecurity, but ingratitude, not so much. It's kind of funny how if you're on the receiving end as I said, you don't miss it. Like you know it happened. You're like, "Where was my thank you? What what was going on? What was going on there?" You know it. But if you happen to be the offender, many times you didn't know. You had no idea that you had done it, but the person on the other end knew that you had done it. And here's what's funny. If anybody ever were to catch up with you and say, "Listen, Aren't you grateful? Did you see what I did for you? Did you see what we, what we did? The sacrifice we made? Aren't you grateful? What would you do? Many, for many people, myself included, we tend to get a little defensive. Of course I'm grateful, oh my gosh, you better believe I am grateful. We get defensive because we feel like we're being accused of not feeling grateful. I feel, my heart is overflowing with gratitude, I promise you, I feel so grateful. But the thing that they are accusing you of is not not feeling grateful. They're not accusing you of something that you're not feeling. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's so incredibly important. But this tension between gratitude and ingratitude, or ungratefulness, is a tension that tends to be so important that it predicts the outcome of relationships. It will predict the health of a relationship. And right now in your life, there may very well be a relationship that's not so healthy. And you're about to be in the room with that person because it's Thanksgiving, okay? And it might be that this simple message that I'm going to bring to you today could reopen a relationship that's been closed for a long time, or at least maybe be a step in the right direction of making it healthier, one that's been real unhealthy for a long time. You can hardly talk to them. It's awkward to be around each other. But what we're going to talk about today could turn the corner for that relationship, could make such a difference simply by implementing this Biblical principle that we're going to talk about today. So, in order to do that, we're going to look at a moment in the life of Jesus when Jesus really illustrates for us a part of gratitude that is often missed in our world today. That we just it just falls off our radar, goes over our head. We just don't think about it. We don't do it sometimes, and 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 by us not doing it, many times it's to our own detriment. So what I'd like to do is we're going to start by looking at this passage from the Gospel of Luke, starting with verse 17. Now before we dive in, let me say a couple of things about Luke, because you may be saying, okay, we're just, we're reading from this random book in the Bible, who wrote this, who is he writing it to, let's talk about that for a second, because I know it makes more sense when you give some things context. So Luke was a physician, we know he was a doctor, and many times because of that, he included a lot of um, material or detailed information that some of the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament that are called gospels, they did not include. Now, in a couple of weeks when it comes into Christmas, Luke has one of the most beautiful stories, of the Christmas story of the story of Jesus' birth we're going to be looking at. He includes some things that are nowhere else in the Bible. It's really amazing that we have his account. But one of the things you need to understand about the overarching message of the gospel of Luke is this, that Luke, over and over again, predominantly is writing to a non-Jewish, Gentile audience. Now, if we're honest, most of us in this room would say, I was not raised as a Jew, okay? So that's us. It's most of the people that are reading his letters, or his gospel, are basically, he's saying to them, and this is the message over and over, that everybody, everybody is meant for the grace of God. God's grace is for everybody. That God wanted his grace and the message of Jesus Christ to go to every single person, not just the Jews, not just the religious, but everybody. So keep that in mind as we read this passage. Let's start with verse 11, and we're going to move our way forward. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. This was a very remote location. Nobody's out there. Very desert oriented. And so, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Now, they weren't close. We're told he was. They were far away. It says uh, in the next part of the verse, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, "Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have mercy on us." So. As Jesus is going into this village, here are these 10 lepers. They show up, and they're yelling to get Jesus' attention. Now, this is a really powerful moment because uh, these 10 lepers were not allowed into society because of their leprosy. And that day, it was known or it was thought to be that leprosy was incredibly uh, contagious. So, they would keep the lepers in their own colony way outside of town, and if they came within earshot, they had to yell, "'Leper coming!' And if they got too close, people were literally legally required to throw rocks at them to keep them away. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is coming. They're trying to get his attention. And this was a a disease that would attack the respiratory and nervous system. It would cause bloody lesions all over the skin. It would cause them to lose sensation, they, could, they had no feeling, and especially in their extremities, so they would injure themselves and re-injure themselves, and it would get infected, and one thing leads to another, and they would begin to lose literally their digits and their extremities off of their bodies. It was a really disgusting and horribly painful disease, and they would lose their eyesight. And because of all of that, they, that was part of why they were required to stay outside of the town. Now, what's interesting is that Today, there is a cure for leprosy. As a matter of fact, I looked it up this week. In the last 20 years, some 16 million people have been cured of leprosy. But in Jesus' day, there was no cure. So these guys see Jesus. They want hope. They want to be able to maybe get their life back. So they're yelling at Jesus. And here's Jesus' response back to them. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, let me explain this reference here. In order for a leper to re-enter society, it is required by law that this leper would go to the priest and have to be checked out by the priest. Sometimes leprosy went into remission, sometimes it just miraculously disappeared. I mean, not often, but sometimes it happened, and when it did, they had to go be checked out by the priest, and if they gave their stamp of approval, they were allowed to return home. They were able to go home to their families and resume life, normal life, and so Jesus is saying, go ahead and start heading to the priest's office. And these guys are like, okay, why do we want to keep going? There's nothing to show the priest at this point. There's nothing to be able to, you know, help them out to take the next step when they begin the journey. But I believe that Jesus is telling them to go see the priest for three reasons. The first one was that once they arrive, if they're healed, they get their lives back. They get their families back. They get their children back. They get their jobs back, their ability to earn a living, their ability to own land, their ability to function as a human being in this society. Once again, it's just huge. The second reason is that when they show up, 10 men that were known to be lepers show up at the priest's office. Don't you know that's going to be the talk of the town for quite a while? The priest is like, wait a minute, all 10 of you got better at the same time today? Okay, tell me what happened. Well, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, he's been claiming that. Well, this is proof. Look what he did. Look what he did. Yeah? So there's no denying this. We were completely covered in leprosy, and now we're good. Look at us. Unbelievable. And the third reason is that Jesus had in mind was that these men, very literally, were going to have to walk by faith. They were going to have to follow what Jesus said by faith. They were going to have to go from where they are to where he called them to be without seeing anything yet. As a matter of fact, if you've heard that phrase, to walk by faith, but you're not real sure exactly what does that mean? Let me give you some definition to that. Walking by faith, simply put, means, oh, walking by faith, there it is, walking by faith, is simply acting on the promptings or the promises of God before you see the outcome before you see the outcome. Now, let, let's go back to the verse real quick, because here's what Jesus says. And if you would, let's read this highlighted word with us with, all together. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were cleansed, they were healed as they went. They had to trust Jesus' word. They had to trust the, the promise of God, put it into action before they saw the results. Before they saw the outcome. This is what walking by faith is. And this is what these men, this is probably one of the most literal moments in all the Bible where somebody had to walk by faith, to trust God before they saw it come to pass. And that's what these guys did. And they had to exercise their faith. Now it's beautiful what happens next. After they are healed... It says, one of them, notice one of them, when he saw he was healed, came, what did he do? He came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and what did he do? And thanked, it's Thanksgiving, right? He thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now this little parenthetical statement on the end, like he just throws it in here, and he was a Samaritan, wouldn't maybe be a big deal to us, but it was a huge deal to the contemporaries. Of Luke, this idea of a Samaritan being healed by Jesus would be unthinkable. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews as being, and this is not really politically correct to say this about a, a people group, but they would look at them as idolatrous half breeds. These people represented their once great Israel. They're, those people reminded them of the time in the Old Testament when they were conquered, exiled, taken to Babylon, and then new people. These people who worshiped idols were infused back into the remnant that were left, and this new breed of people and their new worship, which was a distortion of the God of Israel that took place in there, became this Samaritan people. So they hated them, viscerally hated these people, big time. And so for Jesus, a Jewish Rabbi, Messiah, to heal a guy who was Samaritan once again. It's Luke saying, God's grace is for everybody. Nobody's left out. Everybody is invited to this party of God's love and forgiveness, grace and mercy. Remember, that's what they asked for. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus. And he did. And he forgives them. But this one guy comes back. This one guy returns to Jesus, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Now, I I want this question, where are the other nine, to burn into your memory. I want it to haunt you a little bit, because it has me this week. Where are the other nine? It's like Jesus is saying, something is incomplete here. Something is missing. Something is not right. Something should have been done that wasn't done here. Why is there only one that is coming back to thank me? And here's what he goes on to say. Has no one, let's say it together, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You did it right, buddy. Way to go. You did it right. You came back rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I, I, I know about you, but I can't help but feel a little bit of judginess, a little judgmentalness towards those other, those other nine, right? And if we could get in a time machine, travel back in time, and go find those nine guys and track them down and say, hey, what's the deal? I mean, Jesus forgave you, like gave your whole life back to you. Aren't you grateful?" You know what the response would probably be to us? The exact same response that we would give to a question like that. Of course we feel grateful. Oh my gosh. I couldn't even see my children. I couldn't be around my wife. I couldn't have a job. I couldn't live in a house with my family. I couldn't function in society. I couldn't have friends. I couldn't do anything. I was begging on the side of the road for the rest of my life without what Jesus did for me. Are you kidding me? My heart is overflowing with gratitude. But the problem was, they didn't come back and express it. They felt it. What Jesus was accusing them of wasn't not feeling something. It was not doing something. You see, to Jesus, being truly grateful, being truly grateful meant uh, going back and expressing it. This is what Jesus is showing us here. You would be really grateful, go back. I bet there's people back in your story, somewhere along the line, that helped you from point A to point B, that gave you a lift, that, that introduced you to the right people, that introduced you to your spouse, that helped you get that land, that first interview, that got you that first job, that financed a part of your life, your education or whatever, put food on the table, roof over your head. Somebody did these things for you. Jesus is saying, so important. Being truly grateful means you go back and you express it. So incredibly important. But many times, we don't do such a good job of this. So what I want to do is make four observations about this story, about the application of gratitude in our own life. And as we talk about these, I want to just say that if you put these into practice, you begin to implement these, this could make this the greatest Thanksgiving you have ever had. If you would have the courage to put this stuff into action starting this week. The people that you're going to see this week, some of the people that you're not going to see, you need to express this to them. So here's the first of the observations. The first one is, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. So here's what you need to know. That unexpressed gratitude is not a neutral event. It is a withdrawal from the account of the relationship between you and them. It is too many times going to feel like you are taking them for granted. It, 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 if you don't go back and say thank you, you don't express your gratitude It's going to be experienced on the other end of the equation like, I don't think they're very grateful for what happened. And there is a part of us that are just like those nine to say, sweet, got that taken care of. Let's get on with life. Let's just move on to the next thing. And there is a sense in which Jesus is saying, it's not okay to do that. You need to slow down and you need to go back and you need to thank some people who made your life possible. It's so important. Don't you forget it, because if you don't, it's going to communicate to them, it's going to make them think that you aren't really that grateful after all. But it gets worse, okay? Here's the second observation. Unexpressed gratitude is experienced as rejection, as rejection. It feels like entitlement, like, I deserve for you to do that for me. You owe this to me, and I don't owe you anything. That's what sometimes it communicates to other people by not expressing our gratitude. You owe this to me. And we tend to take certain people in our life for granted and we don't go back and thank them, okay? And let's talk about a few of those groups right now. Now, if you're a mom today, if you're a wife or both, I bet at some point in your life you've prepared a meal for your family. Some of you are like, every night, yeah? We, we, it's pizza night, but we're, I'm making a meal you know, for the family. And it's not always. So women, I know sometimes the guys do this, preparing the meal. But I bet there's been nights where you make this meal Man, you put a lot into it. You put time, effort, you planned it out, went to the store, you got the stuff, and you put all the effort into it. And then people come in and go, We're having that. Yeah, I'll get something else later, you know? <laughs> or they're late, or they don't pay any attention, or they don't really come in, or they don't really want it, or they never say thank you. There's no gratitude at all. Let's be honest. Over time, it's hard not to feel some rejection over that. Isn't it true? And, and, and guys, maybe you feel the same way. And I know some of you ladies have felt this too because you are maybe the main breadwinner. But you work hard at your job. You provide for your families, right? And you, you do your best for your family. You bring that home. And sometimes you feel like, man, my spouse and my kids, they are happy to spend every last dime I make. But I don't feel a whole lot of gratitude sometimes. I think they forget that I'm helping provide the life that they enjoy, you know? And it would be nice to hear a little thank you, or thank you so much, Dad, or thank you so much, Mom. I know moms do that too. and It's it's, it's important to hear it because over time it feels like, ah, I don't really need to tell you that. You owe that to me. That's ingratitude, and it's ugly, and it stings, and it really hurts. Or maybe you're a student, you're a college, high school student, and you're working hard. It's hard. Maybe you're a kind of student where you have to work extra hard just to make the kind of bare minimum of good grades. But you feel like every time the semester rolls around and the grades come out, all you ever hear in terms of comments are, we got to get those grades up, get those grades up. What are your grades? What are your grades? What are your grades? And there's no consideration given to the effort you have put in, how hard you have worked. And you feel like there's no gratitude for that. And it's hard, and sometimes you lose heart, and sometimes you want to give up, and you want to stop working, and you want to stop giving your best because you don't feel like it makes much difference anyway because nobody really is very thankful for it. Or maybe you're an employee at a place of business where you work hard, and you're willing to put in the overtime, and you're willing to work extra hours, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it good, and you're committed to excellence, and you like doing a good job. It feels so good. But if over time you never get an attaboy, a boy, a girl, you never get a man, we're so grateful for you, we're so thankful, thank you for doing such good work around here, over time it feels like rejection. And here's the thing about us that we learn about ourselves, and Jesus is certainly talking about it here, is that we tend As human beings, this is a sociological fact, we move towards places where we're loved and accepted. We move away from rejection and ingratitude. Nobody feels a gravitational pull toward, toward environments or people we feel rejected or feel ungrateful from. We move away from. What I'm saying to you, some of you inadvertently, without even realizing you're doing it, you don't mean to do it, you are pushing some of your best employees right out the door. You're pushing a boyfriend, girlfriend right out the door. You're pushing a son or daughter out the door, a spouse. You're pushing them away because you take them for granted. You don't ever take the time to show them what they really mean to you and how much you really appreciate them. It's so important to take time to do this. Here's the third observation. Unexpressed gratitude, unexpressed gratitude may indicate an inflated ego. In other words, sometimes it communicates arrogance. Well, you think you're all of that, don't you? Because arrogant people don't feel like they owe anybody anything. They're certainly not going to thank anybody because, why? I did this all on my own. I could have done this without you. I know you helped, but I didn't really need you. I could have done this without you. You were just sort of there and I was making you feel good, right? You know, like, I, I, you know, I don't really need, and nobody, I have to believe nobody really wants to come off like that. Like, I don't really need you. I'm entitled to this. That you, you owe this to me. I deserve this. And when we do that, it completely is a distortion of the reality because the reality is every single one of us, ladies and gentlemen, are walking around with a pocket full of IOUs that the life that you enjoy today is owed to many, many, many people who have made your life possible, who have helped you, who've assisted, who've opened doors, who've blessed you, who've encouraged you, who've supported you when few, else, few others would have. And it's so important to remember that. And as a matter of fact, in that spirit, I want to ask you to say a phrase with me to remind you of that today. Because sometimes we start to think, no, I did this all on my own. Well, you didn't do it all on your own. <laughs> you did it with a whole lot of help, right? Um, and here's the phrase. It's going to be three phrases. I'm going to say it out loud, and then I'm going to point to you, and you say the first phrase. I'm going to say the second one. I'll point to you, you say the second one. And I'll say the third one, and we'll do the same with the third one. Here's the phrase. I would not be where I am without the help of others. I owe them a debt of gratitude. That's right. Gratitude says, I am indebted to you. I am dependent upon you. I'm wise enough to know I can't do this by myself. It took a team of people family, friends, all kinds of people that got me where I am. And I'm so thankful, and I just want to take a moment to tell you how much I appreciate you, how grateful I am for you. You need to take time to do this. And the beautiful thing is when you do it, and I I guarantee you this will happen almost every time, they can't wait to thank you for thanking them. They can't wait. If you are on the receiving end, you will thank the person who thanked you. It's crazy how powerful. It'll make you feel good. It'll make them feel good. It is absolutely a blessing. When Jesus says, where are the other nine, he's not like trying to impose another rule. He's saying, they missed out on a blessing. This was good. This was so good. And here's the last observation. Number four, expressing gratitude, it completes the loop. Let me explain what I mean by this is it every time that God does something for us, right? And let me illustrate it this way. God either directly blesses us or he does it through other people. He's blessing you. He's blessing you all the time. He's blessing you right now. Every breath you take, every heartbeat that you have, uh, your job, your kids, your family, your uh, you know, being able to live in the Brazos Valley in Aggieland, hello, Amen, right? You know, like we we are so blessed sitting in this building. We're so blessed. Oh my gosh, we're so blessed. I know the world sometimes looks bleak, and we get upset and we focus on all the problems. We forget how big we're blessed, how much He has done for us. But here's the thing: Jesus was pointing to that sometimes. We act like the nine. We get, the, we receive. We have things done for us, and then we go along our merry way. We go along with our life, and we never take time to finish the loop. When something is done for you, it requires for you to do something from you. There's something that should come from you. There should be some gratitude. There should be some response. There should be some desire to want to return the favor or just at least say thank you. To do something in that response from you when it comes to God. That is our worship to him. That's part of why we gather each weekend to worship and express our thanks and gratitude for God and for who he is and what he's done and what he continues to do every single day. And when it comes to how God is working through others to do things for us, we need to take the time to look them eyeball to eyeball or at least sit down and write it out in a letter. Type it out an email or a text or something and send it to them and to show that gratitude. So when Jesus says, where are the other nine? He's speaking to the fact that the loop is left open. You haven't closed the loop. You you, you receive, but you didn't return. You didn't come back. You didn't show appreciation. You're being ungrateful. Express it. Express it. I know you feel it. Now say it. Do it. Put it into words. They need to hear it. It's so powerful. Don't miss out on this. So if I were to sum up this entire message with one statement, here it is. Gratitude. It's not enough to feel it, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to express it. It's not enough to feel it. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not enough to feel it. Didn't I heal 10? Didn't I bring 10 people from leprosy and a death sentence back to life and giving them everything back to them? Wasn't that, did I count wrong? Wasn't that 10? No, you're right. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? So the question I'm going to ask you, and I hope you will grapple with this, are you going to be like the nine? Or are you going to be like the one who went back to show gratitude? That's a simple application of this entire account that we're reading today. Which one are you? You're going to be one or the other. We all have to be one or the other. You're going, to, you're going to fall in one category or the other. At least what I'm asking you to do is be intentional about it. Pick. You get to pick. You get to choose. Choose today. Make this next week, this Thanksgiving week, awesome. You know how to make it awesome? Put that into practice. Do that. Tell people what they mean to you. Express your gratitude. Tell them thank you. Man, people will be so happy to see you. You know what I'm saying? It will change the relationship. Some people, it will radically change your relationship with them. It is amazing how gratitude tends to melt. Bitterness and unresolved anger and unforgiveness and all this junk and baggage from the past sometimes It's just a little sweetness of gratitude and thanksgiving can release a whole lot of ugliness. And let me just say this to you. Some of you are on that receiving end. You've gotten really hurt, and you feel like, man, some people owe me some gratitude. They owe me some thank yous, and they have not done it. And for some reason, it just hadn't occurred to them. And if we were to go catch up with them like those other nine, they would probably say, Oh, no, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for what you did to me or for me or whatever. I'm so grateful. But they just haven't said it. And it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes you feel a little grudge, a little bitterness. You can tell because it doesn't go away, it just keeps coming up and up and up. And it's important to bring that to God and say, Jesus, you're willing to forgive the nine. Like, he never mentions again. He doesn't say, he doesn't keep bringing it up to the disciples. Like, what about those nine that never thanked me? You know, like, should we go after those guys? You know, no. He forgave them. And they acted in faith, obeying Jesus. They're going to be in heaven someday. Jesus is going to see them up there. I mean, he's not going to come up to them on the streets of gold and say, this is a little awkward, but you never thanked me for the healing. You know, like, he let it go. And we need to also. God. Just like you have done things for me and I forgot to thank you. Help me just to forgive, release, let that go. But here's the last thing I want to lead with you. Who are those people in your life you tend to take for granted? Who are those people in your life that you have left the loop uncomplete? It's still open-ended. Who are the people that you feel gratitude towards, but you've never put it into words? Or maybe you did a half-hearted attempt. Let's be honest. It wasn't great. You could do better. And you need to take some time this week before you see them, maybe even tonight, after church, after, after you get your lunch, take some time to write a few states. It doesn't have to be this beautiful, poetic, huge story. It could just be a couple of lines from your heart, and it would mean so much to the people that you're writing it to. To take the time to do that makes all the difference. Now, here's the prayer of commitment, our application. I'm asking you to pray with me. Simply saying, Jesus, I feel so much gratitude for the many people who have helped me through my life. I commit to express my gratitude this week. We're going to do this together this week. We're going to put it into words. And then this is simply saying back to the Lord, thank you for your love and forgiveness for me. And if you've never received the love and forgiveness that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ, you can receive that today and become his child. You can become... A new creation in Christ and this will be the greatest thanksgiving you've ever had having the spirit of God dwelling within you I want to encourage you to have your heart open to Jesus today if you've never received him you've never received that forgiveness and love of Jesus we can do that right now in this prayer but I'm going to begin the prayer by letting everyone in here to commit to say yes I'm going to put it into words I've been feeling it for a while but I need to say it I need to write it